Welcome to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for this second season, reminding everyone that El Cafecito is supported by the Latin American Studies Program at the University of Toronto. And we'd like to thank the Office of the Vice Provost at the University of Toronto that gave the award that made this podcast possible. Now to my introduction. Burn, baby burn. Hi, everyone. I'm Anna and Fada Bolsonaro. Hello, everyone. I'm Julie. And alert, alert. The Chilean government is looking into implementing a temporary exception on the single-use plastic ban for COVID-related reasons. Wow. Hola, hello, Cuba. My name is Raquel. And uh, there's expected to be a 269% growth in the number of people suffering from hunger and malnutrition in Latin America due to COVID-19 pandemic situation. So I didn't want to start this podcast with Bolsonaro, but unfortunately I have to start this podcast with Bolsonaro because yesterday I came across this piece of news that was quite funny. He was caught in a documentary talking to Al Gore at the Davos conference and Al Gore came to him and, and asked Bolsonaro, uh, I'm, I'm really worried about the Amazon situation, referring of course to the fires in the Amazon. And then Bolsonaro replies, I'd love, uh, I'd love for the US to explore the Amazon with us. And then Al Gore was like, what do you mean? And then he, he avoided the question and went on to another topic. But this avoidance, uh, this avoidance uh, reaction that Bolsonaro has was absolutely astounding. And it relates and reflects how the, the politicians have dealt with the environmental question in Latin America. And then my question is, what is happening to Latin American politicians where we where they we're not they're not caring enough for the environmental politics and will now focus and revert a lot to covid and i wonder what's happening to them because this is uh it's absolutely uh wild how bolsonaro can have such a reaction at davos speaking of funny footage um there was a leaked video of a ministerial meeting of bolsonaro that happened earlier in april where his minister for the environment was telling other ministers how they should use the pandemic as an opportunity to backtrack environmental regulations and legislation and policies that protected the environment because the media was focused on COVID so people wouldn't protest. So yeah, this goes to show the stance that the Brazilian government has adopted on the environment and the pandemic. Um, the pandemic is an opportunity to explore our natural resources even more. And we can't forget that the environment before the pandemic was already severely affected by climate change. And the Amazon, um, considered one of our, the jewels of Brazil, was suffering with their fires uh, last year. And we can't, we can't forget that this form of climate apartheid, apartheid which is said by some um, critical theorists, that the world in maybe 20 to 30 years is going to be divided in, in such a way that the rich people are going to have access to clean water and natural resources while the poor people would be um, divided in that sense. And I'm wondering what has, what uh, other effects has the pandemic had, had on Latin, in Latin America in terms of deforestation, air pollution, food insecurity? Yeah, so I, I found this uh, very interesting article. It's called uh, Environmental Impacts and Policy Responses to COVID-19, A View from Latin America. Uh, 
I think it was published like last July, and it was very interesting because they are trying to show the the realities of the region in terms of how they're responding to the crisis and how this is affecting the pandemic. Sorry, the, the how this is affecting affecting the environmental policies and the environment itself. And one of the topics they they discussed was air pollution and. I found this very interesting because they were saying that, for example, cities such as Bogotá, Buenos Aires, and Quito, um, th there was a decrease in air pollution um, during the first months of lockdown. However, Mexico City, like the reductions, like the decrease were like just not, it was not significant. And Rio was um, like the uh, different air pollution indicators actually increased. So we can see that there's not an equal um, effects of uh, how air pollution is taking place in Latin, like the different uh, cities in, in Latin America. And I think this has a lot to do with how these different cities and these different countries manage uh, their uh, lockdowns and the different measures uh, that were taken at the time. Um, but I think that air pollution is one of the aspects that we can look at when thinking about what are the environmental impacts of um, the COVID-19 pandemic. Another thing that we can discuss is deforestation and how it lo looks like at this, from this report that defer deforestation has increased in Brazil and other countries in the region and how um, especially the use of timber is gonna increase in the next few months as um, more house house uh, households are gonna need uh, for energy and um, just like general consumption as other um, energy sources are gonna uh, be more expensive at the time. So I think this is a very interesting article to look at and I think it's especially very important for politicians to review this type of uh, documentation as it is very important to take all these scientific information into account when thinking and designing these different environmental policies and how the policies that we had before were accurate or not based on the information that we have right now, um, especially taking into account of the effects of COVID-19 in the region. I think that's very interesting what you brought up about, well, all the different effects that COVID-19 is having on our environment. Um, I can speak for a personal level. The other day I went hiking and when I go hiking, I always get reminded of how polluted the city is I live in. And I think air pollution is one of the big topics that we talk about in Chile. And COVID-19 has definitely hit our country hard with that, given that because our country is coming into winter, air pollution's just been striking because a lot of people have to keep their homes warm so they're buying a lot more wood to just light up the light up fires and keep their homes warm so I'm always reminded of that when I go up the hill and I see how polluted my country can really be and that also really connects to the subject of how it really depends on where you live in the city because some areas of the city will be more polluted than others. And COVID-19 is definitely not helping with this because people have to spend more time in their homes and people have to definitely account for that. I think it's also really interesting how we're talking about the policies and that our governments are taking and how different governments react to this or maybe how different governments are not doing what they're supposed to be doing with the environment or even 
taking this into account. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Chile this year started or tried to be plastic-free. It was really successful, yet now they are looking into applying an exception to our plastic ban because for COVID-related reasons, now this plastic ban will not really be in use because now plastic is apparently taken as a necessary measure or something that we need in order to fight the COVID, fight the spread of COVID. And I just think it's really interesting how after this was released by the um, uh, by the environmental minister in our country, then they said that our government is now looking at, in Spanish, la letra chica ambiental, which literally means small, looking at the environment as if, as if it was a small letter. So I'm just really surprised on maybe how little relevance they're giving to the environment, especially the Chilean government, and how maybe for Latin American governments fighting the pandemic is a lot more important than maybe the environment, environmental aspects of it, or if the environmental aspects of it are even a consideration when we're talking about this big pandemic that is not only hitting our regions economically, but also socially. Yeah, that's definitely a factor a lot of states are focusing all, all of their efforts in combating the pandemic and the virus but in case in the case of brazil as raquel mentioned deforestation has not only increased but also has been state sanctioned by a measure that would legalize land grabbing essentially for people who were illegally occupying protected areas before 2008 and that would also cancel thousands of fees and processes in the justice system uh, applied to illegal activities that were damaging to the environment so it's basically the state saying oh it's okay to abuse the environment because of the pandemic and they use the pandemic to justify furthering their previous agenda of exploring natural resources of backtracking climate policy as a justification as if we needed to damage the environment to work on social development to implement social policies yeah and i think we go back to what we were talking about in the indigenous realities episodes into illegal logging and illegal logging has been an issue in the amazon since the 70s and it's literally destroying the amazon together with the agribusiness and it's, it's interesting to see how Bolsonaro reacts to this. He says that the Amazon fires, for example, were caused by NGOs. He said that they were caused by environmental NGOs. And as a reaction to the Amazon fires, he created the Amazon Legal Council that's headed by the vice president. But it's just another, another method to avoid the situation because it puts, uh, it puts the vice president in charge of certain activities that were headed by um, the councils that were headed by scientists and headed by um, public officials. So this centralizes power and con concentrates authoritarian power in, in his hands, and which is exactly the opposite that Brazil needs right now. Uh, I have a question about that. What's the public response to um, this uh, position that the president is taking? Like, what's, is there, what, what's happening about that? Well, I, I can say from my perspective, Anna can give hers, but it seems to me that for the Brazilian middle class, the environmental question is together with the social question, like 
minimum income, one of the minor policies to be regarded. Usually people are more concerned with education, safety, and health. Um, so uh, they tend, the middle class at least tends to ignore mostly the environmental question, um, even when it comes to Bolsonaro saying these atrocities. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially the urban middle class tends to look down on environmentalism in general. But there is a lot of different movements against Bolsonaro in general. So there is a movement called We Are 70%, which is the 70% that are against Bolsonaro. So indirectly, I feel that has been a movement pro the environment. But very indirectly, it's never the focus of any conversation I've witnessed against Bolsonaro, unfortunately. So it seems that the environmental question is left aside, like it's not as important as the uh, social, political and economic like aspects of, of a country itself, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that might have something to do with the past progressive discourse that also looked down on the environmental questions that justified environmental damage for to put forward social policy so that's something that has been carried on by leftist progressive governments in latin america during the so-called pink tide and that's just a continuation but from a different side of the political spectrum which is people over the environment when in reality the separation doesn't really exist I think this is really interesting and a very interesting conversation because, well, when we're looking at the Latin American like context, it's really interesting to see when our governments take the side of environmental politics or really try to dive deep into an environmental policy when sometimes when we're heating a pandemic, you really have to think about the resources we have and if the environmental question is now going to be a realistic question because we have other things to worry about. I was reading an article the other day that was talking about how now the single-use plastic that, well, in Chile became something that we could avoid is now becoming an essential item. And I think that this is a conversation that a lot of countries are having now about like what is an essential item that we do need in a pandemic and how well these essential items like plastic that we're trying to avoid are also items that keep our frontline workers safe that keep them with masks that will be cleaning that will have products that will be cleaning floors that will keep us safe so i a question I want to throw out there are, are these exceptions like realistic? Is this single use plastic like, can we justify it now that we are talking about a global pandemic and what it might mean to our countries? I think that for that, it just shows that these type of policies were not, like the policies were not centered on like the environmental question. Like they were, yeah, I just feel that they are not being taken as important as other other ty other types of policies and i think that's the problem like when our policies are very taking and I'm, I'm not talking about only related like policies related to the environment but also like social economic and political policies if they're not take like if they're not being dictated under the same idea like let's say sustainable development or green economies or stuff like that like then the environmental question is just a small project rather than the main part of what the country is trying to do. And I think that we can see that maybe in the case with Chile, with uh, this assumption that they're trying to do with single-use plastics, as that was not their main goal. But now, because they are seeing, like, we can see that 
plastic at the end is, is essential right now to keep us safe, we can see that at the end this policy is not sustainable and maybe the way they try to make it work was not as efficient and it wasn't even centered as like a main goal that they wanted to to obtain. But I don't think that we can justify the use of it. I, I just think that from now on, we, we should look at, for example, like the way we, the way we do politics and how, if it's related to intersectional environmentalism, for example, like what are our, what are the main things that governments and our uh, just like our politicians want to to achieve? I think it's important to keep the environmental question at the core of our like the things we want to do, the things we want to achieve as a society. Uh, because if we keep letting this question aside and if we don't take it seriously, we're gonna see the effects of climate change sooner and in a way that it's going to be really, really hard to try to address all these issues. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. And I think it's a fundamental misconception when we separate social policy from environmental policy. And the pandemic itself is an effect of climate change. The loss of habitat, the interaction, increased interaction with wild animals, and the melting of the Arctic. Um, I'll explain that a little better. Um, when the Arctic melts, new viruses are exposed to the atmosphere. So I think we should start to frame the pandemic as an effect of climate change rather than look to the future for future consequences of climate change because we are already experiencing the effects of the climate crisis and the pandemic is an effect of the climate crisis. And I'm really afraid of the social inequalities that it creates. And in fact, I think this issue, in my, in my opinion, boils down to the carbon-based capitalist system that, we fa- that we're faced with nowadays. The, if the means of production uh, based on carbon are not reduced by a considerable extent, the world would be in severe trouble. So when we talk about the reduction of plastic, it's of course really important, but we can't forget about energy production, which in Brazil is many times an issue because we are we depend on hydroelectric since we've had we had a drought, I believe in early 2013, that made electric power not available because uh, the hydroelectrics weren't functioning. So we had to turn on geothermal energy, which is more expensive and pollutes more. So um, we have to consider also the basic energy forms that each government um, supports itself um, from. But I totally agree with Leonardo. I think that this big problem is really has its origins in inequality and it's deeply rooted in it. I mean, now that we're looking at our most polluting industries like the airline sector, I mean, now in Chile, most of our airlines have gone bankrupt or are about to. And the ones that are trying to recover are trying to do recovering efforts that are trying to obtain new deregulations and try to really bury that environmental and social standards under the pretext that they're trying to return to economic growth. And these are very toxic activities that we've tried to regulate throughout the years. Uh, But honestly, this really comes back to the question of how rooted this really is, or better said, this really is rooted in inequality and that's just unexcusable. Yeah, it is unexcusable. And one thing that you mentioned is trying to return to pre-COVID economic growth. 
I don't want to be the pessimist, but even if we do transition to renewables, we're going to need batteries to store the energy we produce with wind or solar. And those batteries are made of lithium and lithium means mining. Mining has a lot of negative consequences as well. I'm not saying we should shy away from renewables. I'm just saying even the solutions we have so far will have negative consequences to the environment. And when you mentioned economic growth, I was thinking maybe, might be a radical idea, but the pandemic should be an opportunity to look into degrowth, look into alternatives to development, not alternative ways to develop. It might be difficult for a lot of people to accept that because we've been fed the idea that development means progress, development means more equality and opportunity for everyone. But I think there is a need for a radical reimagining of what we consider a good life or quality of life. Definitely putting things into perspective is also necessary because, well, recently with the pandemic, there has been a recent drop in greenhouse gas emissions and air pollution. But if we look at it, it's actually it's actually purely cyclical and it really is a sham. I mean, this happens because a large part of human activities are now, now forced to be restrained or not happen because of these dramatic conditions with serious and social economic consequences. However, this is not that by any effect we're being, we're taking better policies towards the environment or we are reshaping how we look at the environment or the policies we're taking, but instead it's just that this world was in pause for the longest time. Yep. That's absolutely true. And that's what a UN official was trying to um, explain the other day. I was reading this article and uh, this person was saying that, yes, like we are seeing a change in like the decrease of air pollution, water contamination, a reduction in noise pollution and all that. But it's just a, a short term um, thing. It's just a temporary. It's not that it's going to change the how we are looking at the environment and how we are looking at environmental policies in the long run. So she was actually saying that this is like even worse for the environment itself because we are right now we're just going to think, oh, like this, there is l uh, less air pollution. Like we are we are on the like a right track. But at the end, we are still just, we are keeping our consumption levels at the same rate as before the pandemic, or even where in, we increase our consumption of different goods and services um, that are at the end are affecting the environment in one way or another. So it's, we really need to look at how we are looking at the, what's, what are we going to do once the pandemic is over? Um, and I don't, I don't know if we can say like the pandemic is going to be over at some point, but maybe from now on, how are we looking at the next few months? Like what are the type of not only policies we're doing, but the type of programs and services that governments and the civil society are creating to address the different issues um, that the pandemic uh, has generated or has exposed, such as the different uh, social and economic inequalities that we have mentioned in the different episodes of this podcast and this one is specifically how we are addressing um, climate change issues and one of them especially that I'm really concerned about is uh, food insecurity and the UN recently released this, this report and they were saying that uh, Latin America like the region is going to experience a uh, 269% increase of um, like malnutrition and 
this is for me it's a very 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 scary because food insecurity is um something that we really need to talk about and we need to address it as soon as possible i'm thinking about how many people are losing their jobs and how many people that relied on a like daily income are being are, are experiencing different levels of oppression not only because like they have no money to buy their foods and services that they need to survive but also um how they have now arrays less opportunities than before and food insecurity should be uh, one of the main items in the political agenda um, to discuss. I think it's very interesting how connected these issues are. One of the theories for the beginning of the pandemic and the spread of the coronavirus was that people were consuming the meat of wild animals like pangolins and bats. And that's a clear sign of food insecurity. People were venturing inside forests and hunting for wild animals because they couldn't access food the traditional way. And another thing is that industrial agriculture is one of the most destructive human activities on earth and one of the largest contributors to climate change. So I think we should really take the time to rethink our food systems and see new ways where people can have access to food and not destroy the planet at the same time. It's really unfortunate that the people who contributed the least to the climate crisis are suffering the most during the pandemic and during the crisis overall. Yeah, and we can't forget that this this food insecurity is geographically segregated and mainly in Brazil, if you think about the slums, um, where we don't even have, people don't even have access to sanitation and to proper electricity. Imagine to having, having access to green energy. So it's really complicated to approach this issue when you have a geographically segregated form of, of environmental um, consequence, especially for people in the favela where they, are, they suffer more from rainfalls and from, and from landslides. So I, I wonder how policy will, different types of policy will reach um, people where, that are already inaccessible at this point. Yeah, I think that we, we can also consider how, um, like the importance of um, like city planning and how from now on we are gonna, like city officials are gonna like design like the city itself. So for example, uh, I was reading this article and like they mentioned that two cities in Europe were thinking of increasing um, the bike lines, for example, and how uh, they, they are trying to promote uh, like this policy for people to use like less cars. And I found that very, very interesting. But I think that we can look at how even like the cities are designed and how environmentally friendly they are. And city line, uh, sorry, uh, bike lines are just one example of like things cities can do. Having, for example, community gardens and greenhouse spaces where like people can um, plant and harvest like their own products and stuff. So I think there, there are different things that cities can, can look at when um, planning and designing like these cities. But also then we can talk about transportation and how public uh, transit, how accessible it is, how inclusive it is. So that's another thing that cities might want to take into account when planning like the different things that a city has to offer and how uh, the long-term effects of 
the city itself. Yes, I think one of the silver linings of this pandemic is that it showed how the policies environmentalists have been pushing forward, such as using collective transportation and increasing bike lines, reducing the use of cars, which is one of the most basic policies that have been pushed forward by the environmental movement. The pandemic has shown that these policies work. They are effective. Reducing the use of cars reduces pollution significantly. And I'm not saying the burden of climate change should be placed on individuals. As we know, um, 70 car um, 100 corporations are responsible for 71% of carbon emissions. But it does show that individuals are capable of collective action if there is a political will and collective action works. I thought it was really interesting bringing it back a bit on what Raquel mentioned on like the health implications this might have on the pandemic and how it would look like in different countries and well, d developing countries and what the aspects and conditions may look like for each country. And for Chile, it really is interesting how our staple foods are foods that well are not self-sufficient but also cause obesity and there's been a really big linkage in our country and a lot of studies have been going on and shockingly have taken up a lot of news and press media about how obesity and people have just gained weight through this pandemic so we're talking about this question of food insecurity but then we're also talking about health aspects and how well also our populations are increasing weight and the measures that our country should be taking for that. I know that in Chile, obesity is a really big problem. And that's just another one of the now really big problems that the government has to take in on how they're going to deal with the pandemic and all the social aspects that may have. Yeah, I think that's a very big question uh, moving forward. How do we make healthy, healthy food available and accessible for everyone? Because there is a, a correlation between income and access to healthy food. Because junk food is usually cheaper than, or at least it might be a misconception, but it's something that people usually go for as a cheaper alternative to a balanced, healthy diet. Right now I'm just thinking about how the concept of what is like essential actually, like what, what is what do we label as essential and with with the whole pandemic i, I think we've seen a different understanding of these concepts of, of a different use as for example uh, people related to the healthcare system are essential workers but also farmers and uh, people that are preparing food for like people that work at restaurants people that work at different food services and how before they were not being like their job was not being acknowledged as important or it was like not even considered as, as such but now we can see that farmers like people in i would say even all of the countries relied on uh the consumption of different goods that are being uh produced these different farms and um, food centers so i think it's important to recognize the, the work that all these essentials workers are, are doing and how they're at the end providing us a meal right so i think it's important to consider all those um 
people that are risking their lives to provide us with, with food to eat. That actually reminded me of something I looked into while I was taking a class in political ecology. It's a really cool field of study, by the way. But um, in urban political ecology, they discuss how we fetishize the natural resources we access in the city. So how we open our tap and water comes out of it, but we don't think about everything that all the processes and social relations that are behind that water getting to our houses. And that is the same for food. We don't think how things we buy at a supermarket or at a farmer's market got there and all the social relations behind it until something goes wrong. So until the pandemic, we didn't really pay any mind to farmers, to essential workers. So that's a really cool concept that I thought of why you were talking about that. But yeah, political ecology is an amazing field. I just wanted to say that. That's very insightful on how we we sometimes lose track of our, well, these essential tasks and like things that farmers are doing that sometimes we forget because we generally just go to the grocery store and just buy stuff. But I think with this pandemic, we really can have been able to see what this really all means and how it all connects. I know as a personal experience, really, now in Chile, supermarkets are not really restocking stuff. And what this has led to for a lot of families, including mine, is that now instead of buying stuff from supermarkets, we're actually buying it from the farmers themselves and really doing deeper research and maybe research that was long overdue about how we could do, how we can actually help our agriculture industry and how we can actually help farmers by actually buying directly from them because now they are the industries that are producing and they're not the supermarket which is collapsing and has nothing that we can buy from. Especially with globalization, we consume food from all over the world and we don't even know where it comes from. And there was actually an interesting case in Chile where supermarkets in the UK were boycotting the purchase of avocados from Chile because the planting of avocado trees in Chile was consuming so much water that the people who lived around the farm didn't have access to water. Like they were taking all the resources into avocado farming. So it's really a systemic issue overall. And I would say shop local whenever you can and develop gardening skills for the future. That's one of the survival skills in the global future in the pandemic. Gardening, knowing how to spend more than five hours not depressed, and uh, I don't know. I think that, yeah, there, there are a few things out there, but also just um, consider that at least how lucky we are, and also acknowledging that there are a lot of people in Latin America experiencing different levels of inequality, and how they're just being subjects and victims of environmental racism and they don't have access to uh, food and like water um, and that food security it's it's a problem that we need to address and there are all these levels of different levels of inequalities that we have and it just shows how unequal our region is and that we cannot i think it will be a mistake to think that we are all going through through the same. So I think it's important when when thinking about all these issues about 
what are the environmental impacts, it's, it's important to look at how different countries are doing, how different groups, how different minorities are experiencing these impacts themselves. On that note, I just wanted to comment how angry I get when people post stuff like, we were the virus all along, look how much better nature is doing without us. When people are experiencing extremely dire situations because of the pandemic and saying we are the virus generally entails that individuals are to blame for the pandemic. So everyone is equally to blame for the situation we're in when actually the people who are suffering the most right now are the less uh, culpable subjects in this whole conversation. So that was just a rant. Um, I apologize, but I, I had to get it out. I do think that people should take the blame in a way, right? You know, um, that would make them a little bit more COVID and environmentally conscious. But for now, I'd like to pause this episode. It was nice talking to everyone. I'd like uh, reminding everyone that El Cafecito is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks again, and I'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye.